Welcome to Turf Dudes, show number 34. As we record this episode, it's hot across the United States, but the days are getting shorter and the nighttime temperatures are getting lower. With the change in the seasons, it's time to think about how to prepare your turf for the coming winter months. Dr. Paul Koch is a professor in the Department of Plant Pathology at the University of Wisconsin-Madison and an industry-leading expert in the management and control of snow mold. Dr. Koch has extensively researched fungicide selection, application, and environmental conditions which contribute to snow mold severity. For these reasons, we're excited to have Dr. Koch on the show. My name is Dr. Jeff Atkinson, and I'm joined in this episode by Dr. Paul Giordano. Paul and I serve as directors of agronomy for Heralds. We hope today's episode will improve your understanding of the snow mold pathogen and provide a couple of ideas to improve your snow mold management program. Enjoy the show. Dr. Koch, thank you for joining us today. Uh, your reputation certainly precedes you as the expert in snow mold management. I, I can remember, I think it was five or six years ago, that I traveled up to a snow mold field day that you were hosting in Madison, Wisconsin, and just could not believe the amount of snow mold pressure that you were able to conduct your research trials in. So certainly you're in a hotbed for this type of research. Uh, but before we get specifically into snow mold, you are uh, located in Wisconsin and Harold's, you know, we don't have a huge presence today in, in Wisconsin. So I think it might be apt for some of our listeners who may not know of you, may not know of your research or may not know of your turf program to just give us kind of a quick introduction of yourself, your research program, your extension program, and the things that you have going on at Wisconsin. Sure. Yeah, I'll just start out talking about my uh, my program at Wisconsin. So I'm the turf pathologist, the turf disease expert here at Wisconsin, and I focus on uh, two two diseases that are our are, are two most common diseases at Wisconsin. So uh, snow mold and dollar spot are the two big ones, right? We do we do a lot of other disease work here and there, but dollar spot and uh, snow mold are are the two diseases that we focus on, and we focus on a variety of integrated management strategies from fungicides to cultural practices to host resistance to we've really put a lot of effort into microbiome research over the past several years and to see if we can use the power of the communities that are present to uh, help us manage turf in, in a better way and we're we're making some progress it's slow and um, it's expensive work to do and we're learning a lot um, and so hopefully in the next five to ten years we'll have some more exciting uh, research results uh, to, sh to share with you regarding the, those microbiome uh, aspects. And then as far as the Wisconsin Turfgrass Program, uh, there's one other turfgrass professor here. His name is Doug Soldat. He's the soils and fertility specialist. We have a, a turfgrass diagnostic lab that my program oversees and that uh, Kurt Hockebeyer manages on a day-to-day -day basis. So, you know, uh, a large and active research program in turf here at, here at Wisconsin. So as a follow-up to that, I have, while getting ready for today, I, I noticed that you've conducted some research evaluating the effects of fungicide applications on soil microbiomes. So just kind of curious, is there any conclusions that you can draw yet from your research or is it, is it too early? Because that's a question that we're getting more and more frequently as superintendents and, and customers are becoming more aware of soil microbiome. They're curious as to what types of effect a fungicide application may have on the microbiome or on some of these, you know, soil microbiological products that they may be applying. So I'm interested to hear if you have any conclusions that you can share. Yeah, so we've, we've done this work now for about three or four years looking at how, and that's really a, one of our major areas of focus with the microbiome is how do fungicides impact that microbiome. And, and there, there is an impact. What's, what's tricky, though, is what exactly does that impact mean and how does it how does it impact how we manage the turf? Um, you know, it's it, we can measure that 
you know, one phylum of bacteria goes down, another one goes up, and there's some shifts in the community. What's less clear is what that means for how we manage the turf and how that relates to disease uh, disease control. Uh, so it's, it's, it's too early to say with any sort of confidence uh, what the management implications for those impacts are. But there are, there are impacts. Um, you know, they're microbes, and microbes are going to respond to almost anything we put down. We also see impacts from just putting down straight fertilizer. So it's not like it's just a fungicidal thing. Really, almost anything that we do has some sort of impact on those microbes there. And um, what's, what's the next step is in our research is figuring out what those changes, what those impacts, how do those relate to how we manage the turf? And in, in our case, how do we manage um, manage the disease with that knowledge? I couldn't imagine trying to cipher through the billions of microorganisms that you're trying to calculate population dynamics with. That's just staggering. Yeah, it's a, it's a lot of numbers and, and we hire smarter people than me to help us figure it out. So that's what we do. <laughs> <laughs> Understanding stuff, man. Well, Paul, I'm just going to switch gears a little bit here and but for the task at hand, you know, it's, it, we're here in August and depending on when this podcast comes out, we'll probably still be in August and it's hard to start thinking about snow mold, uh, when it's the dog days of summer, but a lot of superintendents are starting to gear up and, and make purchase decisions on, on how they're going to tackle, uh, their annual snow mold applications. And so as some have called you the Sultan of snow mold, and I know living up here in the North and working up here in the North for as long as I have, you know, we rely on you as a go-to expert and uh, what you're seeing and the work that you've done. And so I guess in your time at Wisconsin and even before that, throughout your graduate studies and all the work that you've done on snow mold, can you kind of summarize what we've learned based on a lot of the work you've done in the last 10 years? What what are kind of the most impactful thing that you, that, things that you have worked on in the last 10 years that, that really have changed the way golf course superintendent super, excuse me, manage snow mold? Yeah, I mean, as far as what we've learned, you know, I've been doing snow mold research now for 15 years um, at Wisconsin and, and in surrounding states. And I think some of the major things that we've learned is that there's not just one product that's a really good snow mold product, right? And there's, there's, there's several products that perform uh, well under these heavy pressures. So I like to put them into products into, into various tiers, right? That's always a question I get mm -hmm. is, you know, what should I spray for snow mm -hmm. And, you know, you respond with, well, you can spray several things based on what your expectations are, what your pressure is, uh, what the primary snow mold pathogen is. Are you going to have more gray snow mold, more pink snow mold, speckled snow mold? Uh, that's going to that's going to change what product that that you choose and what product is going to give you the best uh, the best performance. So uh, there's sort of tiers of products uh, that tend to work um, at very similar levels. And um, in that top tier, there's no single there's no single active ingredient that, you know, that you're going to apply that's going to perform uh, perform well under heavy pressures. So we really, really need uh, mixtures of multiple active ingredients from various chemical classes when we talk about snow molds in uh, in, in heavy pressure areas. And if you're if you're dealing with with TIFL at all, either speckled snow mold or a gray snow mold, one of those classes should be a DMI. The DMIs are far and away the most effective chemical class for uh, for the tifulas. Uh, they do provide some microdotin control, but it's not great. And uh, except for there's a couple of newer chemistries coming out that have some some really uh, newer DMI chemistries coming out that have some. Mm -hmm. some uh, pretty uh, excellent control of microdochium, but traditionally the DMIs are not great on microdochium. 
So then you want to throw something else in there that's going to give you microdocum control. So we're looking at something like hyperdione. We're looking at um, fluidioxanil, uh, some of those types of products to broaden out that scope. And if you're in a heavy pressure area, you really got to combine those uh, those chemical classes for for uh, your best control. So you, while we're on the topic of active ingredients, I think this is a good segue into one of the questions that I I get all the time. And, and you've done a lot of great work to show that two active ingredients outperforms one, and three active ingredients oftentimes outperforms two. And so it seems the more AIs that you add to that mix, particularly in difficult situations where, where you know, you get well over 140 days of snow cover, um, that seems to be the, the trick. My, my question, and this is one that we get a lot, is where is the point of diminishing returns, right? So if you're adding additional active ingredients, um, you know, where can you cut rates? if you can at all, do you still need to be at the full rates of each of those active ingredients? Can you cut rates in half? Is it three quarters? Um, what have you seen in your research and kind of best practices or recommendations from that standpoint? Yeah. What we've seen in, in our research is that the control breaks down really quickly. It's not, it's not really like an added effect. If you go from one to two, then two to three, um, you know, you continue to increase control. What we've seen is that uh, if you just take out one of those active ingredients, oftentimes your control drops a lot. Um, so mm-hmm. like a good example is, is, you know, a combination of products you're familiar with, Paul, if you combine Interface and um, Interface and Mirage, that's an excellent, excellent snow mold combination. And what we've seen in some of our higher pressure areas, if you just take out one of those products, if you take out the Interface and you just go with the Mirage, you have a huge breakdown in, in control. If you take out the Mirage and just go with the interface, you have a huge breakdown in control. So in these heavy mm-hmm. pressure areas, you really need the whole kind of the, the, the full money of all of those active ingredients working together. And, you know, I think, I think the reason why those, the, the combination of those active ingredients uh, is so important is, is part of it is, is suppressing multiple, multiple snowmobile pathogens. But I think the other aspect of it is, is when you when you when you apply that sort of that main punch, right? With snow mold, you got one shot to get it right. It's not like dollar spot where if we have breakthrough, we'll come back in a week and we'll we'll clean it up. You know, if we're under if we're under a foot of snow for six months, there's not a whole lot we're going to do with that situation. So we got one shot. And what I think when you mix those active ingredients is you just have a bigger a bigger suppressive impact on the snow mold fungal population. Uh, right away. I think it knocks it back further. It takes longer for that mm-hmm. fungal population to recover. And so you just, you just don't get much in the way of, of, of fungal growth. And then obviously without fungal growth, you're not going to get, you're not going to get diseases. Cause I think there's, there's a misconception that, you know, for snow mold products to work, they have to last the course of the winter. And, you know, that was my PhD project. We know that snow mold fungicides don't last throughout the winter, even, even the good ones, right? We would go back out, Right. You know, uh, six weeks, two months later, and for the most part, those chemicals would all be gone from the system. And so really where the control is coming from is, you know, how much are you knocking back? How much are you suppressing the fungal population at that initial application? And then the more you suppress it then, then the the uh, the less fungal growth you'll get through the winter and the less likelihood you'll get, you'll get disease. So... I didn't even answer your question. I just talked for five minutes and didn't answer your question. No, I, I think you absolutely did. I mean, honestly, uh, the, I guess the only aspect of that question is the rate response. I mean, how much of a rate response, once you start adding additional active ingredients into that mix, which we obviously know is contributing to better control and more complete control, 
where is the point of diminishing returns? For instance, I'll use the, the example of PCMB, and this is one that comes up often. You know, we know that six ounces of PCMB often performs better than four, but when mixing with multiple other active ingredients in that mixture, do you still need that full shot of six ounces of PCMB, for instance? Yeah, for, for the most part, yeah, uh, you do. We don't find that there's a, a lot of great um, improved control by mixing up multiple active ingredients and decreasing the rates. So when we mix the mm-hmm. multiple axes, typically we like to stay at at or near their, their full label rates. So I don't like to go below, even if we're mixing, I don't like to go below six ounces of PCNB. Another good example is Instrata. So we, mm-hmm. we tend to see Instrata, basically the lowest rate of Instrata that tends to perform well under decent pressures is seven ounces. Under seven ounces, we really see a big drop off in the control of Instrata. And I believe the reason for that is, is because below seven ounces, your amount of, of propiconazole in that application is really low. So you're basically just putting mm-hmm. out DAC and medallion. And, and, and DAC, for, for, its, for all of its common usage as a snow mold product, it provides very little microdocum control, a little bit of tifula control, so you're you're kind of you're at the whims of the, the various tifulas when you're when you're down at that rate. So um, right. I, I like to stay at, at you know go basically go at as, as high of a rate as you can, uh, even when you're mixing those multiple actives. Good to know. Yeah, that's that again. That's a question that comes up all the time. So I yeah, yeah. appreciate the insight. You know, it's 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 different than again. There's so many things about snowmobile that are different than like summer diseases where you can mix the actives but cut the rates. We don't see that with snow mold. You just don't have a lot of success when you're when you're cutting rates, even if you're mixing multiple active. That's a question that we've gotten, and that that we really haven't um, we haven't addressed through research, and we actually have some plans to this year in partnership with uh, with Minnesota. So I think we're gonna we're gonna put in some some various treatments this year, looking at multiple mixtures and multiple rates, and and kind of trying to start to get at that question because. It's a question I get a lot as well, and one that uh, I don't have a great answer to, except for some of these anecdotal uh, observations that we've made on right. combinations with PCNB and Instrada and those sorts of things. So you mentioned that when you make an application that you're not getting protection for the full winter season, which makes a lot of sense. But let's say, for an example, that someone was applying the full rates of a mix of fungicides. How much protection or what type of length of protection would you expect for them to get? And also, I guess the second part of that is, what is going to trigger a superintendent to make an application? What what indicator are they looking for? Say, hey, this is the right time to make an application to give me protection uh, until the coming season. Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna address the timing aspect in a totally different conversation because we've done a lot of research in the last five or six years on on the timing aspect. But is um, the, the the first part, uh, Jeff? What was the first part of the question again? Yeah, I knew that was a big question to ask. I was afraid to ask it all, all in one. But I guess what I'm getting at, if you look at, you made the comment that a snow mold application doesn't last the entire window. So what realistic level of control can a superintendent expect to get? For example, a dollar spot, you might make an application on 14-day intervals under high level of pressure. Can you get, or should you expect 28 days of control with a snow mold application longer? You know, what's r- really a realistic expectation uh, for longevity of control with a snow mold application. I, I, sometimes I think that our expectations for snow mold fungicides are a little, a little unfair, right? We we're excited if we get 21 or 28 days of control out of a dollar spot product, and then we're we're pissed off if we don't get six months of control out of a snow mold product. Um, right. But uh, so 
you know, the, there's there's two there's two parts to your question, Jeff. One is how long the products last and how long the control lasts. And that's those are two very different uh, answers. So the products will last um, for different levels depending on the conditions. So what we found in, in my research is that uh, kind of your first significant rainfall event or your first significant snowmelt event will uh, will get rid of the vast majority of your of your product that you applied. So if you put down a product, let's say on December 1st, and then there's a winter rainfall event on December 21st, most of your product is going to go away by that point in time. However, the, the important follow-up is that that's your, your protection isn't gone by then because you had the, when you made that fungicide application on December 1st, the fungicide, the fungus absorbed the fungicide and it knocked it back. So it's not like you no longer have any protection on December 22nd, unless you come in and like inoculate with new fungus on December 22nd. So really the, 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 the way that we get snowmobile control is by that, by that initial knockback, whenever you apply the fungicide. So that's why we don't normally need to reapply uh, products. So, you know, we did, you know, we did the study in Madison out in the field for four consecutive winters. Uh, one winter was a very cold, snowy winter with no snowmelt events, no rainfall events. And we could detect a lot of, uh, we could detect a lot of hyperdione and chlorothalonil into February. Uh, other winters we've done it where we got a, we got a rainfall events, you know, two weeks after we applied the products and we couldn't detect any product uh, within a week after that rainfall event. So it's going to really depend on the conditions that you have following your application, but that does not directly relate to the duration of, of control that you get. Now, with that said, the, the earlier that you have that rainfall event or the earlier that you have that snowmelt event, right, we lose that, that suppression of the fungicide. So it's going to provide more time for the fungus to grow and recover. Snowmold fungi, even in the best conditions, are, are slow-growing fungi. So they need time. They need time to grow and they need time to colonize and infect. So, you know, the, the earlier that you lose that product due to rainfall or, or snowmelt, um, and the more, you know, the more conducive your conditions are for snow mold in general, the, the heavier pressure sites, um, those are going to increase the chances that you see snow mold breakthrough, but it doesn't guarantee it. So do you have an idea how long it takes? Let's say that you have an early rainfall and you still have a couple of winter months out ahead of you. How long does it take for the fungi to redevelop? How long does it take potentially for the fungi to become um, pathogenic again during the same season? Yeah, it's gonna. I mean, I don't have a. I don't have a direct answer to that. It's gonna. It's gonna depend on. It's gonna depend on the on the conditions. But in, in the vast majority of people would not need to reapply. I'm gonna give you example an example from uh, I think four or five years ago. You know, one of our our testing sites is up with Craig Moore at Marquette Country Club. Craig's an awesome superintendent to work with. Um, you know, he's one. He's just a great guy to work with. But two, he gets incredible snow mold up at that site year after year after year. He's kind of our firewall. If we, if we don't get any symbol anywhere else, we, we're going to get some up in Marquette. Um, and uh, uh, it was four or five years ago, and we put out the product at our normal kind of November 1st uh, timing. And a week later, they got, they got a rainfall event, which is rare for them to get rain that late in the season up there. But it was a heavy rainfall event. And then right after that, they had snow for the entire winter until you know mid-April. And they had a deep snow cover, so we were we were we were curious to see what kind of uh, protection we would have remaining once the snow melted off. And you know, mid-April is actually a relatively early melt off for them up there. 
You know, we've had times where it's been into May where before they finally melted off. And what we noticed is that we were starting to see breakthrough. We were starting to see development, even on strong, on strong stumbled mixtures. You could kind of see, you could see some, what I would call some superficial infection. It wasn't real deep down to the crown. You could definitely see the fungus was there. So what, what that was telling me is that, you know, we were, we had, the, the fungus had started to, to really break through and started to get inside the plant. And then the snow luckily melted. If we would have gone another three, four weeks of snow cover, there probably would have been significant and long lasting and long lasting damage. So uh, again, it's, it's, it's not ideal. You, you certainly don't want that. It's one reason why you want to put out your product as late as you can without putting out after the snow melts, um, because you're going to avoid some of those, those fall, those fall rainfall and fall early fall snow melt events. Well, so you touched on something important, Paul, which is going out as late as feasible, right? Before permanent snow cover. Uh, but as you know, a lot of folks that are, are in these northern climates, we just don't know what we're going to get come October, November, depending on where you're at. And so with that, there's been a strategy, I think, that's become adopted more um, heavily over the last several years with, with using setup applications, um, sometimes with a single active ingredient, whether it's a contact or maybe a, a less expensive type systemic product that can knock down maybe some of the, particularly the microdochium uh, pressure that's there in the fall, but at least, and it, as well as provide them some assurance for, you know, if and when it gets dicey on that last application. So can you give your thoughts on kind of that setup application in the late fall before the final app, when it should go down, what are some good strategies or products to be used uh, for that strategy? So, yeah, so timing is, is, is really important. And that this kind of gets back to, to Jeff's question from earlier that I'm going to circle back and, and answer in, in a roundabout way. And, um, you know, timing, we, we found that timing is really important. You can have the best product in the world, snowmobile product in the world, and if you put it out at the wrong time, it, it sucks, right? It's not going to control anything. Mm-hmm. Um, and so um, there's, there's, there's a window of, of control with, with your timing. And what we've noticed is that um, we've done this now for, I think, six consecutive winters at three locations, one in northern Wisconsin, central Wisconsin, and down here in, in Madison. And the study is a really simple one. We just go out with Instrata. And we go out uh, two months before typical snow mold, uh, snow mold timing. And then we go out every two weeks and make an application. So there's, I think there's, there's six applications for each site. We just make the application once. And then we go back the following spring and we rate how much snow mold was on, uh, developed on that particular, uh, particular timing. And what we've noticed mm-hmm. really consistently is that there is a really sharp cutoff on the front end of when your products are going to be effective. Right. So we know it's it's obviously really bad to go too late. Right. If the snow is on the site, that's bad. Um, But it's also bad to go too early. The control drops off really, really quickly. I think it was two years ago. um, We had one of the timings was on October 14th. And then the next time it was on October 26th. And the next the next uh, spring, the, the amount of snow mold on those two sites went from. 90% 90% snow mold on October 14th down to 10% snow mold on October 26th. So that wow. time is a really sharp cutoff. And what I think, what, why I think there's that sharp cutoff is that is the time when the snow mold fungi are starting to grow, right? If the, mm-hmm. if the snow mold fungi aren't growing, they're not going to take up the fungicide. And so it's not going to do anything for you. So the snow mold fungi have to be growing for your fungicide to, to have an impact. And so what we've, what we have 
observed over these several years, and, and we've done it at these various sites, and it's pretty consistent oversight, is that um, – and it'll and obviously it changes year to year, right? From the, the, That optimal timing will change from, from year to year uh, based on the weather conditions that fall. And so it's, it, it tends to be about three to four weeks prior to your normal snow mold timing. Um, and then if we look at other metrics, we haven't gone in and done the stats on it, but if we actually use a metric like heating degree days, which is, you know, an mm-hmm. HVAC unit, it's the opposite of growing degree days. You just, and we used a base temperature of 50 degrees Fahrenheit. And starting on July 1st, we just calculate the average daily temperature. And every time it's under 50, we just add up those units and sum them up over the course of the entire fall. And uh, once we get to about 75 to 100 uh, of these heating degree days, that's where the the efficacy of the products really tends to increase dramatically uh, and quickly. So, um, with that said, though, you know, we in that window, we tend to we tend to have better and better control the later that we go. So, if we go right at the beginning of that window, we have ten percent disease. If we're near the end of that window, we have you know zero to two percent disease. So, it's not a mm-hmm. huge drop off, but there's there is some increased uh, some increased uh, control by going a little bit later. Um, now to your question about that early app or the, or the primer app. Um, yeah, without a doubt, we, we, we see, we see a strong efficacy and it it has the same principle as those early season dollar spot applications, right? You knock down the initial inoculum and, um, and it just makes it harder for the, for the fungus to respond and grow. And we've already talked about that snow mold fungi are slow growing fungi. So if you knock them back early, um, they, they really have a they have an inability to, to recover recover quickly. So not every site needs one of those earlier primer apps. But you know if I talk with a superintendent who's had a little bit of disease the past couple of years or a breakthrough, I think that early app that primer app is an excellent application to to increase the the level of control. And so typically based on our timing research, it's when those growing those heating degree days reach about seventy five to hundred. Uh, or about you know three to four weeks prior to your your normal app. Gotcha. So to put you on the spot a little bit, and this is probably not a fair question, but if you had somebody ask you a question to say, is it better for me to go one single application at a full rate? Let's use Instrata for example, eleven ounces of Instrata, full shot, one time. You know, smack that timing exactly where I need it to be, just prior to snowfall. Everything's good. Or should I split that across two half rates, you know, a month apart? Are they likely to perform equally as good? Um, I get, and, and again, probably an unfair question, but if you were to give a, a, a kind of stamped recommendation, what would your go-to be? Yeah, I would go with the the, the full rate one app over the split app. Okay. We've actually, we've looked at that. Now, what I would say is if you could go like, if you could go, three quarter rates on both those, I think maybe that would change my mind a little bit. But when you go down, you know, when you go down to that, those half rate levels, you're just losing a lot of active, especially with some of those. So for the most part, I would like to just go one app, uh, full rate. I agree. I think relying on a half rate of any product for what could be four to six months, I think that uh, there's a lot of lost sleep over the winter with that if it's a difficult winter. So yeah. I'm with you on that one. Yeah, definitely. 
Dr. Coke, have you seen any benefit of including any type of an adjuvant in a spray tank for a snow mold application, whether that's a spreader, a sticker, just a general non-ionic surfactant, or even an oil-based material such as something like a Civitas? Any benefits with any of those types of materials in a spray program? Nope, we've never we've looked at we've looked at Civitas quite a bit, and with Tifula at least, there doesn't appear to be really any 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 added benefit of, of using Civitas, except if you want color, right? Uh, Civitas provides good color in the spring. Um, and a lot of, you know, that's probably been the biggest shift in the, in the, in the last 15 years of, of, mm-hmm. of doing snow mold is the, the use of, of colorants and dyes in your snow mold application. Now it's, it's not a big dramatic change in the spring after your first or second mowing, that color difference is gone, but you know, superintendents tend to like that, um, tend to like that, that greener color coming out, out of, out of the initial snowmelt. So unless you're just looking for color there, we've not seen any added disease control benefits of putting in an adjuvant or looking at Civitas. Now, if you go look at the Oregon state data, um, using Civitas, there's some, there's some pretty decent control of microdochium, uh, that can be achieved with Civitas, but we've never seen any added control of either pink snow mold or gray snow mold in our research using Civitas or using other adjuvants. Interesting. So there seems to be a significant difference between under snow cover, consistent snow cover versus exposed, you know, Pacific Northwest type microdotium yeah. conditions. Yeah. It's interesting. Yeah, there's, there's, there, it's, it's interesting that there's, you know, they're the same, or at least we think they're the same pathogen, right? Microdotium nivale. Yeah. And, and they perform, it, it, they perform very differently and they respond to things differently in the Pacific Northwest than they do, um, you know, in areas that have kind of traditional long duration snow cover winters. And one other, you know, one other thing that we've noticed that with is iron sulfate. So with, um, you know, Clinton Alec and their research out there, they've shown that iron sulfate repeated apps throughout the winter can provide, can provide pretty excellent control of, of microdochian patch. So what we did here at Wisconsin, you know, we've, we've made single applications of iron sulfate kind of at the traditional snowmobile timing, and we didn't see any, any impact at all, any control at all of snowmobile. So then what we, what we did as a follow-up is we made applications of iron sulfate throughout the entire fall, kind of leading up to uh, traditional mm-hmm. timing. And the thought process there is that iron sulfate, in my opinion, kind of works like a weak fungicide and, and sort of provides a, a modest suppression of, of the fungus. And so my thought, if we reapply that iron sulfate every two weeks throughout the entire fall, then we would suppress knockback uh, the fungus and that we would see a reduction in, in snow mold the following spring. But we didn't see any reduction at all. That was in northern Wisconsin, central Wisconsin, and down here in Madison. It, was, it, didn't, even, it didn't even touch the snow mold. Uh, so the fungi respond differently out in in those environments like in the pacific northwest where uh they have the cool wet environments as opposed to our our long duration snow cover winters over here that is interesting do you think that's just a factor of the chronic you know favorable conditions for disease out there versus like you said it's such a slow growing pathogen in in a much colder environment that we deal with in the midwest and the north um it's it's a kind of a fascinating dichotomy between what's what's being seen out there versus in your work. Yeah, I, I think for me, it's just that you can you can continue to reapply it throughout the winter and continue to you know when we've looked at iron sulfate with Dollar Spot and we can see some pretty significant reductions in Dollar Spot uh, using iron sulfate here. 
Uh, but then when the pressure gets really high, then you, you lose control quickly. And so kind of what I, what I equate it to is if, you know, if your fungicide is, uh, your fungicide application is, is punching dollar spot in the face, the iron sulfate is kind of kicking it in the shins. It's kind of keeping it off balance. Um, and so the, the, the kick in the shins for our snow mold, just, you know, we can only kick it in the shins a, a few times. And then once the snow, once the snow falls, we can't do anything else to it. Whereas out in the Northwest, you can continue to reapply throughout the, co- the course right. of the winter. So right. it, it, the fungus just must not be affected enough, uh, in, in long duration snow cover areas. And it just, it just recovers too quickly. So staying on the topic of, of fertility and nutrition, what are some of the most common kind of do's and don'ts? And I think a lot of folks who deal with snow mold know this, but I guess based on some of the work that you've done, um, do's and don'ts of fall and winter nutrition in terms of uh, fertilizer inputs. Yeah, I mean, the main one, the main the main nutrient that we look at when we're talking about snow mold is nitrogen. And we want that nitrogen applied really as early as we can in the fall. Uh, we don't want to have any actively, you know, green growing turf as we go into, as we go into snow cover. That's, you know, that's probably the most critical thing we've seen that, you know, I recall probably five, six years ago, we had a late, a late dollar spot outbreak, like an early November mm-hmm. dollar spot outbreak. And, you know, you had, a lot of superintendents who didn't want to see that dollar spot going into winter. So they went out with a pretty heavy app of, of fertility, trying to grow it out before the snow came. And, and man, they got hammered with, got hammered with snow mold uh, that year. So you want to make sure that it, you know, any of your, your fertility is applied either early in the fall so that it's kind of through the system before, um, before the snow comes, or it's applied as a true, a true dormant app after the turf is completely right. gone, which is, which is, can be, which can be tricky um, given the the swings in temperature that we tend to see in, in late fall these days. So, um, and, you know, Doug Soldat has shown that most of that nitrogen applied in the fall is, is used early in the fall anyways. If you apply it later in the fall, most of it's not really used by the plant anyways. So, mm-hmm. uh, you know, we try, we really try and recommend getting that fertility out earlier in the fall um, and kind of, you know, after an October 1st, um, we're not really putting any more uh, nitrogen out. Um, you know, the other nutrient that is, has gotten some, some look in the, in, in the recent years has been potassium. And there's a little bit of, um, there's a little bit of conflict in, in, in the results. So Doug Soldat has looked at potassium for a number of things on bent grass here in Wisconsin and found very clearly that with increasing rates of potassium, uh, you found increasing rates of microdochium. Um, and, but if you go look at res- uh, work from Rutgers on annual bluegrass, they actually found the exact opposite, that if you increased your potassium with annual bluegrass, you got less pink snow mold. So, um, you know, those those things need to be hashed out over future research projects and looking at various uh, turf grass species. But on bent grass, you know, I, I, I worked with Doug on that project and looked over the results with him. It was very clear that uh, the more potassium mm-hmm. that you put down uh, on, on your bent grass, the, the more microdochium that you had. So, we tend to, uh, if you got bent grass at least, you know, reducing or, or potentially even eliminating your potassium will help will help suppress at least microdochium. Not very clear with tifula, though some past research at Cornell has suggested the same thing, that more potassium led to more gray snow mold as well. So, um, you know, I think there's some, there's some evidence that, that potassium does certainly play a role in snow mold. And based on the results, especially if you had bent grass, I would uh, put down less, put down as little potassium as you can. 
As we get towards the end of our discussion today, if somebody has additional questions about snow mold or wants to learn more about your research and some findings that you have ongoing in your program, where can they go to find that information? Well, every single snow mold study that we've done, at least since 2010, I think, is posted on our website, which is tdl.wisc.edu slash results. And you can go back and look at all of our snow mold research. You can look at our summer research, too, if you want. It's all there, freely available. And um, there's a lot of information and a lot of data that you can look through on your own. And, um, and you can find the, the products that work best for, for your site, for your, for your budget, and uh, for your expectations. Like I said earlier, you, know, you don't have to use just one product, right? There's, there's many different products and combinations of products that work well for snow mold. And, um, and they, they can be at different price points for, for different golf courses. So what I would recommend and what I always do is, is go, look at that, go look at that data, um, see what works best for your site, see what provides the control of the stumbled pathogens that you have at your site, and, and talk with your local rep to get the, the one for the price point that works for you. Thanks. And we'll put a link to that webpage on our show notes that's published with, with the podcast. And you guys also have a fully functioning diagnostic lab, fully diagnostic capabilities. So if somebody's looking to submit a disease sample, uh, where should they go to get in touch uh, with your diagnostics lab? We do. We have one of the few remaining turf-specific diagnostic labs left in, in the country. And uh, it's a full-time diagnostician. Kurt Hockmeyer has been with me for about five years now. Purdue grad, got his uh, master's degree under, under Rick Latin, does a great job managing uh, the diagnostic lab. So uh, information on how to submit samples to that uh, facility is, is found at tdl.wisc.edu. Well, Dr. Koch, appreciate your time today. I certainly learned something being a non-pathologist and not being exposed to snow mold too often. Um, certainly always interesting to hear your insights and hear about your research program. Yeah, enjoyed it, guys. That wraps up our interview with Dr. Paul Koch. A sincere thank you to Dr. Koch for volunteering his time and expertise. This show would not be possible without the willingness and cooperation of folks across the country willing to share their knowledge with us. Turf News exists to communicate important research findings and turf management trends to turfgrass managers as part of Harold's effort to grow a better world. If you enjoy the show, we want your feedback. If you have a topic you'd like for us to address or a person you'd like to hear from, please send it to us at turfdudes at heralds.com. That's T-U-R-P-H-D-U-D-E-S at heralds.com. While you're at it, please subscribe to our show on iTunes, YouTube Music, or SoundCloud. We'll see you next time.